Hey, welcome to Sanctus Young Adults Online, inviting young adults into God's redemptive story. My name is Josh, I'm the Young Adults Pastor here at Sanctus Church. I, I hope that these conversations, these discussions, and these teachings will be meaningful and impactful to you. Would you take a second to subscribe and to follow so you never miss any content that we upload. All right, guys, so uh, what we're going to be doing now is I'm going to take the next like 25, 30 minutes. I'm going to give a teaching on leadership. And, and the reason that I want to make sure that uh, at some point today we had a teaching on leadership is I think a lot of us come from maybe different um, backgrounds or experiences of leadership and involvement in church and serving. Um, so I want to help to like, kind of start to center the culture and go like this is the kind of leadership that we want in young adults. This is the kind of leaders that we're looking for in young adults. Um, so that's what this kind of section is about. After this, um, Cam's going to come up and do a little bit of explanation of how to use Planning Center for all of us so that we can understand that. Uh, then we're going to have a time of worship, some time of prayer. Then we're going to have our final time as teams to, to plan for September 15th, and we're done the day. So uh, keep, keep it going. Um, if, if you could take notes for this, I think that would be incredibly valuable. Um, this is a heavy, for sure, like note-taking type teaching. Um, and I think taking notes is just an important way to learn it shows um, that, yeah, you're just like learning, reflecting, engaging. Um, so yeah, that's what today is going to be about. So we're going to be um, talking today about this idea of the leaders that the church needs. So we're going to be in 2 Timothy. If you have uh, a Bible app with you, I'd encourage you to open it up. It's not going to be on the screen. So I would encourage you to open it up in a Bible app or in a Bible if you have one with you. So we're going to be in 2 Timothy 2, verse 1. So hop there. And we'll get things going. All right, so 2 Timothy 2.1, this is what it says. It says, You then, my son, be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. And the things that you've heard me say in the presence of many witnesses, entrust to reliable people who will also be qualified to teach others. Join with me in suffering like a good soldier of, of Christ Jesus. No one serving as a soldier gets entangled in civilian affairs, but rather tries to please his commanding officer. Similarly, anyone who competes as an athlete does not receive the victor's crown, except by competing according to the rules. The hard-working farmer should be the first to receive a share of the crops. Reflect on what I am saying, for the Lord will give you insight into all this. Remember Christ Jesus, raised from the dead, descended from David. This is my gospel, for which I am suffering even to the point of being chained like a criminal. But God's word is not chained. Would you pray with me? Uh, Heavenly Father, I pray that um, today, as we talk about leadership, as we talk about being leaders in your church, I pray, God, that your Holy Spirit would speak to each of us. God, I pray that your Holy Spirit would convict each of us in ways that we need to grow, ways that we maybe have not been the leaders that you want us to be in the church. I pray, God, that we'd be inspired, that we'd be excited about the mission that we're called into, that we'd be thankful for the grace that you give us to be a part of what you're doing in our world. God, I pray that it would not be my words, but your words today, that you would do what you want to do amongst us as a community. Amen. So, what's happening here is uh, the, the book of 2 Timothy. It's important to understand how the book of 2 Timothy was written, because that kind of influences how we're going to interpret this text. So, the book of 2 Timothy is written at the very end of Paul's life. And why that's interesting is Paul lived an incredible life. He, he went from being a persecu persecutor of, of Christians... He, he was Jewish, and then he, then he converted, and then he lived this incredible life where he planted churches, and he went around, he saw miracles happen, he was persecuted, he was thrown in jail, he was beat, he preached the gospel, he saw miracles and healings happen, he lived this incredible life, and then at the end of that life, 
he writes this letter, 2 Timothy, to his dear friend, his brother, his son in the faith, named Timothy, who was a church planter in Ephesus. And Paul is writing this near the end of his life, and it's potentially one of the last times that they ever communicated. And I don't know about you guys, but if, if you've ever spent time with people who are at the end of their life, the conversations you have are a little bit different, right? Like you're not talking sports, you're not talking weather, you're not talking kind of the, just the chill stuff. You're talking about what matters, what's really important, because time is of the essence. You know, for me, I was just back in Edmonton uh, last week where I'm from, and I was there for a wedding, but I spent some time visiting my grandparents while I was there. And uh, Janae and I right now, we're, we're just graced to still have seven grandparents, which we're so thankful for. But one of the, the most challenging parts of us moving here to Ontario is that we know that our grandparents are entering into kind of their, their last years with us. And we know that each time that we see them, we might not have another time to see them. So when I was there this past week, the, you know, the conversation wasn't about which cousin's taller now. The conversation wasn't about, you know, how's the weather, how's, how's your medications. The conversation that I wanted to have with them was about their life. It was about how they walked with Jesus. It was about, tell me what you've learned. Tell me what I need to learn. Tell me what you have been through in your walk with God. It was the critical. It was of the utmost important conversations. That's what we had. So that's the context of 2 Timothy when Paul is writing to, to his brother in the faith. Is It's not this casual conversation. It's this very distilled, refined, these are my core convictions. These are the most important things for you to hear, Timothy, as I leave you. So as Paul writes this, we can feel that weight. We can feel the seriousness of what he's saying here. Now, this, this letter is, is written to Timothy, like I said, who is pastoring the church in Ephesus. And we read about the church in Ephesus uh, also in the book of Ephesians. And in the book of Ephesians, we're at the start of that church. And we're seeing incredible things happen. We're seeing uh, people discover spiritual gifts. We're seeing a revival break out in the city. There's thousands of people coming to know Jesus in Ephesus, which is a, a core influential city in the region, just like a Toronto. It is an influential powerhouse. And there's a revival breaking out of Christians. And what happened is that when this revival broke out, there were merchants who were making uh, idols. They were making these kind of statues that they were selling to people to worship. And, and when they were selling these idols of worship to people, when, when they converted to Christianity, when, when Paul came and he preached the good news and they started following Jesus, they stopped buying these idols. So what happens is when they stop buying these idols is this like crazy riot that breaks out. And I want to read it because I think it's uh, an incredible show of the passion of the church of Ephesus and where it started from. So this is just from Acts 19, 23 to 41. Uh, it's one of my favorite stories in Acts. If you haven't read it before, it's, it's pretty interesting. So this is what it says, a riot in Ephesus. It says, about that time arose a great disturbance about the way, which is what they called Christians. A silversmith named Demetrius, who made silver shrines of Artemis, brought in a lot of business for the craftsmen there. He called them together along with the workers in related trades and said, You know, my friends, that we receive a good income from this business. And you see and hear how this fellow Paul has convinced and led astray large numbers of people here in Ephesus and in practically the whole province of Asia. He says that gods made by human hands are no gods at all. There is danger not only that our trade will lose his good name, but also that the temple of the great goddess Artemis will be discredited, discredited and that the goddess herself, who is worshipped throughout the province of Asia and the world, will be robbed of her divine majesty. When they heard this, they were furious and they began shouting, Great is Artemis of the Ephesians. Soon the whole city was in an uproar. The people seized Gaius and Aristocrus, Paul's traveling companions from Macedonia, and all of them rushed into the theater together. 
Paul wanted to appear before the crowd, but the disciples would not let him. Even some of the officials of the province, friends of Paul, sent him a message begging him not to venture into this theater. So I love that passage because you get a sense of what's going on at the start of the church in Ephesus and Paul as the leader at that time. Basically, a riot's breaking out. Everyone is super frustrated. They're angry at Paul because he's wrecking their businesses because of the message of the gospel. And they're like, okay, we're going to get in this riot. We're going to be in this theater. And Paul is basically like, hey, let me in there. And everyone's going, don't go in there, Paul. It's not safe for you. And he's like, there are people who don't know Jesus. Let me in. And he's got this passion of like, I just want to preach the gospel. These people need to hear about Jesus. And the disciples and the people who ran the city were like, Paul, it's not safe for you to be in there. He's like, I don't care. We've got 2,000 people in a theater. Let me in. So that's where the church started. Incredible passion, revival, absolute move of the spirit. But then we jump forward to the book of Revelations. And we read again about the church in Ephesus. And this time it's a different story. What's written there is it said that Jesus says to the church, he says, you've lost your first love. And what that means is that they had gone from being cra- crazy passionate and they loved the Lord. They were serving as a church. They were making a difference in their city to all of a sudden things shifted and no longer were they showing that same passion. And what's frustrating is that for Paul, he's, he's aware of where it started, but he's also aware of where it's gone now. So as he's looking at the church in 2 Timothy and he's writing to to Timothy, who's the pastor of that church now in Ephesus, he's saying, here's what you need to do to turn things around. Here's how you change things. He says specifically, here's the leaders that you need if you're going to move this church forward to where it once was. If you want to get back to the city in uproar because there's a revival of the spirit, then you've got to get the right leaders in place. So that's why I called this message today, the leaders that the church needs. Because it's so important that we take a reflection and take a look at our own hearts and then also those around us and go, what kind of leaders are good leaders in the church? Like, what makes a great leader? Is it someone who's influential? Is it someone who is super nice? Is it, is it someone who knows the Bible really well? Is it someone who can teach well? What makes a good leader in the church? What do we think a good leader is? Do we think we are good leaders? And more importantly, what kind of leaders does God want for his church? And as Paul writes to Timothy here and describes the kind of leaders that he needs in the church to move forward, I think that's also the Holy Spirit speaking to us today even, going, here's the kind of leaders we need in the church if we're going to make a difference, if we're going to make an impact. So Paul is writing to Timothy about the leaders to look for, and I'm going to walk us through three types of leaders that he's looking for, three examples, and then also three ways that we need to develop as leaders. So if we look at verse 2, when we unpack that, one of the first things that we see that Paul is instructing, he is exhorting Timothy in, is that you need leaders that you can trust. And to entrust means to deposit something. So if you ever, I don't know if you've ever done this, if you've ever driven a friend's parent's car, have you ever done that? I I remember I did that once with one of my friends. His his parent had like a really nice car. It was like $65,000 Lexus. and, And I was driving it. I was entrusted to drive this thing. I was just like, Man, I am uh, driving this thing five under the speed limit. Um, I'm definitely going like three car lengths in between me and anyone else. Uh, If I lived here, I definitely wouldn't have driven it on the 401. I had been entrusted something, and I want to take care of it. I want to understand what I've been given, the value of what I've been giving. I'm not messing around with someone else's Lexus. But in the same way, what we see here is that Paul is telling Timothy, can you trust people with what they've been given? And what they've been given was the gospel. 
Now, there's this great story that a pastor, John Tyson, talks about when he was planting his church. They went and they were trying to get money from another church to help them plant this church in New York City. So he went to this church down in Florida. This pastor gave them some money. Uh, and he was like, okay, great. Now I'm going to go plant this church in New York and, and reach people. So the senior pastor would call John every once in a while and kind of check in and, and just want to know kind of how things are going. Like, hey, we gave you some money. We want to hear kind of how it's been going. So this pastor would call him up and he'd be like, hey, John, like who have you led to Christ this week? And, and John would respond and be like, yeah, like life's good. Uh, my family's great. Uh, really getting settled now in the city. Um, you know, church is doing well. We're, we're trying to find like a new location. I'm just trying to sort out some of the logistics there. Uh, you know, we're thinking about starting this like new event, this new program. And then the pastor would stop John and say, John, we're not playing games here. We didn't give you money to set up Christian activities to entertain people. You've been given the gospel. Now bring it to the city. And that's a reminder for all of us that we've been entrusted with a message called the gospel. And that our goal as a community is to share the gospel with other people. We've been entrusted with something so much more valuable than Alexis. But do we take that seriously? How are we living that out? And here's the thing that's so important for us to understand is that without the gospel, lives are destroyed. We can do as much social justice as we want. We can do as much, let's deal with racial issues, let's deal with inequality, let's deal with poverty, let's deal with all the challenges that we have in our lives. But at the end of the day, people are still going to hell. They're still separated from God for eternity if they don't have the gospel. So our primary call as Christians is to share the gospel with people. We've been entrusted with it. What are we going to do with it? Something that you'll see uh, a bit in the way that I lead is that, that quote there about we're not putting on events for Christians. I'm really passionate about that. We've got so much stuff to do as the church, and I don't want us to just have fun with each other. That's not our primary call. It's great for us to build community. It's great for us to build into each other. We need to disciple each other and have a place for Christians to grow, but we also always need to be outwardly mind minded because that's what the Great Commission was. The Great Commission was to go and tell people about Jesus, so that will be our priority. So first off, people you can trust. That's the kind of leaders that Paul told Timothy to look for. The second type of person was a reliable person. Leaders need to be reliable people. You know, it's one thing to know what you have. It's another thing to steward what you have well. You know, on September 15th at the launch party, I'm going to be teaching a little bit um, from the parable of the talents. I'm going to be talking about this idea of what have we all been given and what are we called to do with it? How do we be faithful with what we're given? And as leaders especially, that is so important we understand. So, so what are reliable people? Well, they're consistent. They're consistent people. You might be incredibly gifted. You might have godly character. But are you available? God will take a reliable person. He will take an available person all day long over a gifted person. Like, look at the disciples. He wasn't going for gifts. He's going for availability. He went with the people who followed him. The rich young ruler, that probably would have been a great guy to have in the posse. Man, he could fund some great stuff. But he said, no, I'm not ready yet. I'm not available and Jesus said, that's okay. And Jesus walked away. Jesus didn't even chase that guy. He went with the guys who said, yeah, I'll follow you. So are you available? You know, the church, we can't have leaders who flake. You know, we can't just have people who come to young adults when it's convenient. We need people who are willing to sacrifice to be available for God to use them. You know, I, I don't want us to be made up of people who are gifted, but people who aren't willing to commit. I, I need this ministry. God needs this ministry to be people who are available and who are sold out and they're willing to sacrifice. 
This means, you know, do you follow through with what you say you'll do? Do you answer messages? Do you finish what you promised? Do you respond going or do you respond interested on events? Do you come on time to things? Leaders come early. Leaders stay late. Are you bought in? One of my closest friends in Edmonton, um, he was kind of like my Timothy. And the funny thing is his name is Timothy. Um, and, and Tim, amazing friend, him and I met uh, when he came to, to Edmonton from Japan when, when he was in high school. And uh, I was a leader kind of over him for a bit, and then he kind of moved into a leadership position beside me over the years. But one of the things that I most appreciated about Tim was his reliability. Incredibly reliable, incredibly loyal. That's actually what led to him moving up in leadership. And, and now at the young adults at the church I came from, he oversees multiple groups, he coaches people, he's one of our key disciple makers. And the reason for that is because he's willing to sacrifice for the sake of the mission. Tim's an electrician, works incredibly hard, puts in some of the most hours I've ever seen someone do in terms of their schedule. Very hard worker. So when him and I would try and meet, it was very hard to find time to meet. So he'd start work at like 7. So if we want to do a coaching meeting for him and I to get together, we'd have to get together at like 5.30 in the morning. So we'd meet up at Tim's at like 5.30, and the accountant at my church would be like, why are you expensing receipts for 5.30 in the morning? What are you doing? Is this legit? I'd be like, no, it's legit. There's this guy, Tim, and he'll meet with me at 5.30 in the morning because he's that committed as a volunteer. And I'd have other people the same week sometimes complaining about a 9 a.m. Sunday meeting to get together to talk about something. 9 a.m., 5.30. And it wasn't because he was going to bed at 7.30. He was getting four or five hours of sleep sometimes to make those meetings happen. But he was bought in. He was reliable. He didn't go back on his promises. He sacrificed for the sake of the mission. And that's why I loved him. And that's why he makes such a difference in the kingdom compared to some of the other leaders that we had. And the third thing that, that Paul is telling Timothy to look for in a leader is people who are strong in grace. And what this means is people who get their grace from the outside, meaning from God. You know, people who are weak in grace, people who are weak in grace are always doubting if God's forgiven them. They're confused about if God loves them. They're insecure about their own faith. And the challenge for us as young adults is that this is a season of life where often we're kind of wrestling with the ideas of identity and purpose and who we are and who's God called us to be. But what all those questions do is they often turn us inward. And we're thinking about ourselves all the time. And what the gospel needs is for us to turn ourselves outward but to do that, we have to be strong in grace, meaning we have to know who we are. We have to be secure in our identities as children of God. And then from there, we can turn ourselves outward to go, okay, who do I need to reach? Who do I need to love? Who do I need to pour into? You need the steadfastness of knowing who you are and what you've been called to do if you're going to turn outward and reach people. We need leaders who are secure. Now, what I love is that uh, the next verse, in verse 3, Paul kind of jumps into one of my favorite calls to leadership that I've ever seen done. Um, I think it's just a great way to really recruit people for your team. He says, would you join in with me in suffering? And I love that because, you know, if I got up there on September 15th for, uh, for our launch party and I was like, hey guys, uh, this year, I was just going to suffer a little bit. Who's, uh, who's in? We could just start today. Um, but what I love is that when you think about the idea of suffering, Everything great came from those who suffered. I, uh, I love architecture, and when I look at the great ar architectural feats of history, they all have stories of death, of injury, of incredible hardship, of delay, of suffering. If you look at any great company that's been built, talk to the founders. They might tell you about a little bit of suffering that they went through. Anything great is painful to build, but that's what makes it incredible. 
So when Paul says, join with me in suffering, I think what's, you know, encouraging is to go, if we're suffering for it, it means we're doing something incredible. It means that something great is coming. That's what suffering leads to. So when we join in with Jesus in the suffering that he went through, we are a part of the mission of God, and there's no better place to be. So I just want to be open with you guys right now, letting, you know, the little secret that we have. There's going to be suffering in young adults. There's going to be incredibly hard times for all of us. If you're in leadership, if you serve, there's going to be people who, who backstab you. There's going to be people who abandon you. There's going to be times when you are incredibly tired. There's going to be times when you are frustrated. There's going to be times when mistakes happen. You're going to have bad days. You're going to look silly and embarrassed in front of other people. There's going to be hard times. But that's the call of the Christian walk is to come and join in the suffering that Jesus went through for the sake of the gospel. So will you join us? Now I want to hop into the three types of suffering, the metaphors that Paul gave to look at and to be inspired by. So the first one he gave was a military metaphor of a soldier. And, and what he's saying here is uh, in the context of when Paul wrote this, the people would have been thinking about Roman soldiers. So I want to give you a couple of facts about a Roman soldier. So when they signed up for military service, it's for 20 years. It's a 20-year commitment from day one. They weren't allowed to marry the whole time. They had to get a tattoo of the legion that they were part of on their body. And they were forbidden from civilian affairs. So being a soldier in the Roman Empire was all about focus, it was about courage, and it was about sacrifice. Imagine what it would look like if, as the church, we said no one can marry for 20 years because we're all just going to be committed to the gospel. I don't know if that would be good, but if you think about the amount of focus that would bring, it would be pretty incredible if people were willing to sacrifice that much time for the kingdom. What Paul is saying here to Timothy is find people who will be like soldiers. Find people who will be disciplined, who will train, who will have courage. Find people who have a focused vision and goal. You know, another part of, of a soldier's life that's important to pull out here is that there's a clear enemy. Soldiers aren't just randomly hanging out and they just like, they fight each other out of nowhere, right? There's, there's a common understanding. We have an enemy that we are against. In the same way as Christians, we need to be clear about the enemy that we are against. We are fighting not just flesh and blood. We're fighting principalities of darkness. We need to understand spiritual warfare and understand that there is stuff happening here that is not just us as people, but there's stuff beyond us. And we need to actually have a sense of frustration and anger about that. And, and we need to know where to direct our frustration and anger. What I see so happen, so often happen in, in leadership in churches is that we get frustrated because of what's going on and then we turn against each other. This happens in marriage. Janae and I talk about this in our marriage is that when we fight, we can't fight against each other. We've got to fight with each other, even if we're mad at each other. Because we are together and we have a common enemy, a common goal that we are trying to get to. So we need to be on the same team. So in the same way, we're going to have temptations in this community as we build up a leadership culture where we're going to get mad at each other. Someone's going to like drop the ball. We're going to want to gossip about people. We're going to want to speak poorly of those who don't step up and do what we thought they would do. But we need to understand that if we are fighting against each other, then we're forgetting who the enemy is. We have to be joined as an army. We have a common enemy. We have a common goal that we're moving towards. The last idea here. Uh, with soldiers is understanding the idea of, of game. And I love this because I, I grew up playing hockey. Uh, and the idea of game is that there's this sense of aggression. It's the sense of if someone hits me, I want to hit back. In, in hockey, it was great. You know, someone would like hit you with their, their stick or they'd give you a little body check. And you knew next, next time that guy's on the ice, like, heads up, buddy. Like, I'm coming for you. 
And that might seem weird as a Christian to be like, well, hold on. Like, I don't know, Josh. Like, is this like anger? What's this about revenge? Is this hatred? But, but I think we have to understand that there can be a, a holy hatred. I think if we look at the life of Jesus, we see that he has this sense of aggression. He has this sense of gain in even his own ministry. There's this understanding that there are works of the enemy that need to frustrate us. And if, when we get hit, we need to be ready to hit back. We can't just sit around and be soft with this. When we look at issues of poverty, when we look at issues of sexual abuse, when we see people's lives being torn apart, we can't just sit there and hold hands and, and sing kumbaya. There has to be a sense of like, are you kidding me? Okay, I'm stepping back in the ring. Put me in, coach. That's what I love about Paul, that story about the riot, is that there's this crazy riot going on in the city because of the work of God in that city. And Paul's not going like, oh shoot, like we made them frustrated, that's too bad. Paul's going like, put me in, coach. They, they're speaking against our God. Let me get in there and let me speak about who our God is to them. So we need to have this sense of game. We need to have this sense of a holy hatred against what the enemy is doing. We need to fight against that like a soldier fights. The next analogy that, that Paul gives is that of an athlete. And uh, what what's, we need to understand about athletes in Rome is that they trained primarily in, in private. They, they trained in secret. It wasn't until the competition that they went public. And in the same way, anyone here who's maybe been a musician or been an athlete, you know that you might train for hundreds, if not thousands of hours to develop and to get ready for just one performance, just one play, just one competition. I, I took a course uh, on sports and spirituality in university, and I loved studying about how Paul used these analogies of a runner and of an athlete for the Christian life. And here's why this idea of training is so important in our walks with Jesus, is that if we are going to steward as leaders, if we're going to steward the power and the platform and the influence that we're given, our character has to be ready for it. We're in an era where we're seeing so many leaders who have incredible influence, huge reach, but their character hasn't sustained where they've gotten. So we're seeing leaders fall, we're seeing churches fall because the character, the secret life, the training and development wasn't there to sustain where they got to in their leadership. So as leaders, we need to be training in private, doing the things in secret that develop us. We have to live with integrity. And we have to be leaders who can train ourselves to grow in our faith. You know, one of the things that's really important in our community as we step into leadership together is that we have a sense of accountability to each other with our leadership. There's going to be seasons for all of us where maybe we're not ready to serve because of something going on in our life. And that's okay because it's important that we know where we are with our faith before we serve. It's not fair to our community for us to be serving from a place of either hypocrisy, hidden sin. We need to understand where we are in our leadership and what kind of character it takes for us to be there. So Paul's message here to Timothy is to find leaders who will do this. Find leaders who will compete like an athlete. And what's, what's the opposite of an athlete? It's a spectator. You know, a spectator is someone who's not in the game. A spectator is someone who's like an armchair quarterback. And I think, honestly, in churches, we have an armchair quarterback issue where people who aren't in the game, they don't know the challenges, they don't know what's been done to get somewhere. They start spewing opinions and critiques. And we stand from the outside and we throw grenades to the inside. And we can't have that. We can't be spectators. I, I love how uh, Mark Clark, pastor of Village Church, he put it to his church once. He said, the church is not a cruise liner. It's a battleship. We're not here to serve you drinks, so get to your battle station. 
And I love that analogy because it puts a sense of ownership on all of us to be a part of it. You know, I can always tell when someone has a sense of uh, disownership or maybe a sense of uh, the church being third party or the, or the church being apart from themselves by the way they talk. Because if someone is a part of the church, we are the church, if we as the, the body of believers are the church, then when something's wrong in the church, it, it's owned by us. But when someone goes, oh, the church isn't doing this, or this community is not this way enough, or you aren't like this, there's a, there's a dehumanized, there's a separation, there's a third partiness to that that's not healthy. So when people walk into this community, if they go, this community is not welcoming, my question would be, well, what are you doing to help make it more welcoming? Do you view yourself as part of the solution? Do you view yourself as part of the church? Or do you view yourself as someone on the outside coming in just looking to consume someone else's product? So there needs to be a sense of ownership. There needs to be an understanding that we're all in the game together. The final analogy that's given here by Paul to Timothy is that of a farmer. And uh, I'm a pretty big city boy. I don't know a lot about about farming. So this is a tough one. I had to do a lot of reading on it. But uh, the best example I can give is uh, I'm a pretty big plant guy, which isn't quite the same as farming, but I love plants. Uh, before I moved here, uh, I had to get rid of a bunch of my plants, which I was like really choked about. Um, I had like great plants. I had like Sansevieras, I had Monsteras, I had ZZ plants, I had succulents, like great stuff. And I had to get rid of a bunch of them when I moved here. <laughs> and everyone would be like, Josh, what's the big deal? Just buy some new plants when you get there. And I was like, no, you don't get it. You don't understand what I put into these plants. You don't understand that I nurtured these plants. You don't understand that in the Edmonton basement in the winter, what it takes to keep a tropical plant alive. <laughs> you got to rotate that thing on a six-hour schedule. My driving got adjusted based on my plants. There's a sense of nurture there. I got a grow light from Amazon. I would miss my plants. Janae would take videos and make fun of me to her friends. But there's this sense of dedication into the nurturing and the development of these plants. And here's what the analogy that Paul's really giving is about, is it's that a farmer puts the work in to develop something. And the leadership lesson there is that leadership is hard work and it's slow work. I had lots of friends who bought plants because they thought it was cool, and those plants all died within four or five months. Because they didn't want to put the work in to actually care for the plant. They just wanted a, a cool plant in their house. They didn't want to put the labor in to, to fertilize it, to watch the YouTube videos on the type of soil you need for certain types of plants. They want to understand the moisture in the air and how it affects it. They don't want to put the work in. But that's the thing is that if you've ever walked with someone, if you've ever taken someone who's maybe a, a new Christian, just been converted, if you've ever walked with them, you know that discipleship is long, it's slow, and it's hard work. You know, people who are new Christians, there's lots of times areas that they don't understand yet or there's maybe relapses to, to poor sin habits, or there's, you have to backtrack and explain things from the bottom because you're like, oh, I thought, I just assumed that you might know that. And, and you have to walk with them and journey with them in a way that is slow and steady. And that's what's important for us as leaders to, to know is that this is not a race. It's going to be a long journey. We're playing the long game together. But then what we see Paul explain here at the end of this is that he says that the first share of the crops goes to the farmer who does the laboring, who takes the risks, who experiences the failures, they get the rewards first. That's the promise that we're given as leaders in the church is that those who do the hard work of the farmer get the first rewards. So those of us here today are like farmers because we're here when there's not as much harvest yet. 
You know, in, in my last church in young adults, when we first started three years ago, there was 30 people. And it wasn't pretty. And it was a season of plowing. It was a season of pruning. It was a lot of work to get where we wanted to be. It was slow and hard work. The first year, we barely saw any movement. We got like an extra 30 people. We were a large church, and we only had 30 people join the first year. Incredibly hard work, a lot of tears, a lot of challenging decisions. But then as we moved forward, we got momentum. And the leaders that joined in later, it was interesting to see their perspective versus the leaders who were there at day one. Because the leaders who were there at day one, who went through the struggle at the start, they had a different appreciation for where we were. They had a different understanding of what it took to get things to where they were. It's the difference of someone who just buys an incredible plant versus someone who grows a plant from a seed. There's a different appreciation for the end result. So we here today are kind of at the start. We're at the seed. And, and the next year is going to be challenging. The next couple of years are going to be challenging. We're going to have a lot of uphill battles to face. But like farmers, those who do the hard work, we get the, the, the rewards at the end. When the harvest comes, we get to be a part of it. So that's what we're looking for in leaders. Those who are willing to sacrifice and do the labor to get where we want to be so that we can celebrate in the harvest together. So Paul, he, uh, sorry. So, uh, so Paul, he, he ends it with this. He gives an encouragement to Timothy. He says, reflect on these things. Consider who you would call into leadership. Are they people that you can trust? Are they reliable people? Are they people who are strong in grace? Do they understand? And the person that we have to look to ultimately, Timothy's a great leader, Paul's a great leader, but we have to look to Jesus because all of what Paul said here we see in the life of Jesus. We see that Jesus fought like a soldier. He had fierce intensity and focus. He risked getting stoned multiple times. He overturned tables in the temple. He felt deep loss as he saw his friends and those close to him, followers of him, die. We see that he had incredible discipline as he practices things like solitude and silence and prayer and Sabbath. He was patient like a farmer. Like think of the people that he chose to disciple. Like, like Peter, who was always correcting Jesus or is cutting off people's ears or, uh, you know, the disciples are asking God to send down lightning from he heaven to torch a town or, or Thomas, who's always doubting. Jesus didn't choose an easy crowd. He didn't choose a quick crowd. If Jesus wanted leaders quickly, he wouldn't have chosen those guys. But he put in the hard work like a farmer to develop them. So that's what we're looking for, for leaders. That's the kind of leaders that we need in the church. What we see here in 2 Timothy 2.21, Paul says, Those who cleanse themselves from the latter will be instruments for special purposes, made holy, useful to the master, and prepared to do any good work. And what he's talking about here is this idea of will you separate yourself from the things of this life for the sake of the gospel? When he talked about the example of the soldier there, it's, it's will you be entangled with civilian affairs? Or will you put aside the things of everyday life with a gospel and a kingdom mindset for where we're going. For us, that might mean things like, you know, what are we doing with our Netflix, with our social media? What are we doing with the way we spend our money? Are we investing our money into the kingdom or are we investing it into our own consumerism? It means what are we doing with our time? Are we sacrificing our time for the sake of the kingdom? Leaders sacrifice and put the values of the kingdom first and they don't entangle themselves with things that aren't necessary. So we have to have focus and we have to have vision. 
And the promise that we're given here is that those who cleanse themselves of our impurities will be set apart by God for special works in the kingdom. And that's what we want, is to be set apart, to be a remnant people, to do good works for the kingdom. So the question for us today to end on is, would Timothy, based on what Paul has instructed Timothy to look for in leaders, would, would Timothy call us into leadership today in his church? Are we the kind of leaders that, that Paul's looking for, that Timothy's looking for? Do we know the weight of what we've been entrusted with? Are we reliable people? Are we ready to give it all for the kingdom? Are we spectators? Are we athletes who are in the game? So the invitation today is would you join us in young adults and be this kind of leader? Would you say, yeah, I'm in. I, I will develop in secret. I will, I will grow in discipline. I will sacrifice and priority the needs of the kingdom over my own desires. So the invitation is to join in suffering and to join the mission of what we want to do together here in Young Adults. Can I pray with us? Heavenly Father, thank you so much for uh, just our time today. Thanks again for just everyone here who's uh, just devoted and who's bought in and who wants to be here and wants to see Young Adults reached for you. God, I pray that as we reflect on our own leadership, as we reflect on the ways that uh, we're gifted and we're strong, as we reflect on the, the ways that we still need to grow, the areas where we maybe are still weak, God, would your Holy Spirit come and, and just develop us and prune us. As we heard this morning from Pastor John, would we just be attached to you as the vine? And would we be okay with seasons of pruning and development so that we can grow and make an impact, so that we can see fruit, so that we can see hundreds, if not thousands of young adults come to know you? through our ministry here. So Father, I pray that you'd be with each of us. Pray that the last couple hours of this day would be amazing, that we would have an amazing start to this year and this fall, and that we'd see young adults who don't know you discover you. Amen. Thanks so much for listening. Hey, if you found this valuable, would you consider sharing it with a friend that you think would benefit from it? Be sure to follow and subscribe if you haven't already, and we'd love if you left a review because that helps other people discover this content. If you're looking for more information on Sanctus Young Adults, check us out on Instagram, on YouTube, or through our website. Have a great rest of your day.